This episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, and they have over 100,000 titles available for download. Visit audibletrial.com slash thescaldcircle to begin your trial and download your free audiobook today. It's time to relax, grab a drink, pull up a chair by the hearth, and have a seat in the Scald Circle and listen to Chapter 7 of The High Deeds of Finn and Other Bardic Romances of Ancient Ireland, as told by Manogan. Before we begin our story, we wanted to remind you that we release new tales for free every week. Our shorter tales release on Wednesdays, and our longer chapter stories release on every other Saturday. Find out where you can hear them on our website at thescaldcircle.com. And be certain to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. That way, you'll never miss out on one of our enchanting tales from around the world. Now then, without further ado, this is The High Deeds of Finn and Other Bardic Romances of Ancient Ireland. Chapter 7. The Story of Eton and Midia. Once upon a time... There was a high king of the Milesian race in Ireland, named Oki Erem, whose power and splendor were very great, and all the sub-kings, namely Connor of Ulster, and Mesgreda of Leinster, and Curry of Munster, and Eilil and Maeve of Connacht, were obedient to him. But he was without a wife, and for this reason the sub-kings and princes of Ireland would not come to his festivals at Tara, for, said they, there is no noble in Ireland who is a wifeless man, and a king is no king without a queen. And they would not bring their own wives to Tara without a queen there to welcome them, nor would they themselves come and leave their womenfolk at home. So Aki bade search be made throughout all the boundaries of Ireland for a maiden meet to be wife of the high king, and in time his messengers came back and said that they had found in Ulster by the Bay of Chinchmay, the fairest and most accomplished maiden in Ireland, and her name was Eten, daughter of Etar, lord of the territory called Ekrad. So Aki, when he had heard their report, went forth to woo the maiden. When he drew near his journey's end, he passed by a certain spring of pure water where it chanced that Eten and her maids had come down that she might wash her hair. She held in her hand a comb of silver inlaid with gold, and before her was a basin of silver chased with figures of birds, and around the rim it had red carbuncles set. Her mantle was purple, with a fringe of silver, and it was fastened with a brooch that was golden. She wore also a tunic of green silk stiff with embroidery of gold that glittered in the sun, her hair, before she'd loosed it, was done in two mighty tresses, yellow like the flower of the water flag, each tress being plaited in four strands, and at the end of each strand there was a little golden ball. When she laid aside her mantle, her arms came through the armholes of her tunic, white as the snow of a single night, and her cheeks were ruddy as the foxglove. Even and small were her teeth, as if a shower of pearls had fallen in her mouth. And her eyes, they were hyacinth blue, her lips scarlet as the rowan berry, her shoulders round and white, 
and her fingers were long and her nails smooth and pink. Her feet were also slim and white as sea foam. The radiance of the moon was in her face, pride in her brows, the light of wooing in her eyes. Of her, it was said, there was no beauty among the women compared with Etain's beauty, no sweetness compared with the sweetness of Etain. When the king saw her, his heart burned with love for her, and when he had speech with her, he besought her to be his bride, and she consented to that and said, Many have wooed to me, O king, but I would have none of them, for since I was a little child I have loved thee, for the high tales that I have heard of thee and of thy glory. And Ochi said, Thine alone will I be if thou wilt have me. So the king paid a great bride price for her, and bore her away to Tara, and there they were wedded, and all men welcomed and honored the queen. Nor had she dwelt long in Tara, before the enchantment of her beauty and her grace had worked upon the hearts of all about her, so that the man to whom she would speak grew pale at her warming the sweetness of her voice, and felt himself a king for that day. All fair things and bright she loved, such as racing steeds and shining raiment, and the sight of Ochi's warriors with their silken banners and shields decorated with the rich ornament in red and blue. And she would have had all about her happy and joyous, and she gave freely of her treasure, and of her smiles and loving words, if she might see the light of joy on the faces of men. But from pain and sadness that might not be cured, she would turn away. In one such thing only was sadness endurable to her, and that was her music. For when she sang or touched the harp, all hearts were pierced with longing, for they knew not what. And all eyes shed tears save hers alone, who looked as though she beheld, far from earth, some land more fair than words of man can tell. And all the wonder of that land and all its immeasurable distance were in her song. Now Ochi, the king, had a brother whose name was Eilil Ongloch, or Eilil of the Single Stain, for one dark spot was on his life, and it is of this that the story I shall now tell. One day, when he had come from his own dune to the yearly assembly in the great hall of Tara, he ate not at the banquet, but gazed as if it were something far off away. And his wife said to him, Why dost thee gaze so, Eilil? So do the men who look smitten with love. And Eilil was wroth with himself and turned his eyes away but said nothing. For that on which he gazed was the face of Etain. After that assembly was over, Eilil knew that the torment of love had seized him for his brother's wife. And he was sorely shamed and wrathful, and the secret strife in his mind between his honor and the fierce and pitiless love that possessed him brought him into a sore sickness. And he went home to his dune in Tethba, and there lay ill for a year. Then Ochi the king went to see him, and came near him and laid his hand on his breast. And Eilil heaved a bitter sigh. Ochi asked, Why art thou not better of this sickness? How goes it with thee now? Oh, by my word, said Eilil, no better, but worse each day and night. 
What ails thee then? asked Ochi. Ailas said, Verily, I know not. Then Ochi bade summon his chief physician, who might have discovered the cause of his brother's malady, for Ailal was wasting to death. So Fachna, the chief physician, came, and he laid his hand upon Ailal, and Ailal sighed. Then Fachna said, This is no bodily disease, but either Ailal suffers from the pains of envy or from the torment of love. But Ailal was full of shame, and he would not tell what ailed him, and Fachta went away. After this, the time came that Oki the High King should make a royal progress throughout his realm of Ireland, but Etain he left behind at Tara. Before he departed, he charged her, saying, Do thou be gentle and kind to my brother Ailal while he lives, and should he die, let his burial mound be heaped over him, and a pillar stone set up above it, and his name written thereon in letters of Ogham. Then the king took leave of Ailil, and looked to see him again on earth no more. After a while, Etain bethought her and said, Let's go see how it fares with Ailil. So she went to where he lay at the dune at Tethba, and seeing him wasted and pale, she was moved with pity and distress and said, what ails thee, young man? Long thou hast lain prostrate, in fair weather and in foul, thou who wert wont to be so swift and strong. And Idol said, Truly I have a cause for my suffering, and I cannot eat nor listen to the music-makers. My affliction is very sore. Then said Etain, Though I am a woman, I am wise in many a thing. Tell me what ails thee, and thy healing shall be done. Ailil replied, Blessed be with thee, O fair one. I am not worthy of speech. I am torn by the contention of my body and of my soul. Then Etain deemed that she knew somewhat of his trouble, and she said, If thy heart is set on any of the white maidens that are my handmaidens, tell me of it, and I shall court her for thee and she shall come to thee. And then Ilil cried out, Love indeed, my queen, hath brought me low. It is a plague nearer than the skin. It overwhelms my soul as an earthquake. It is farther than the height of the sky, and harder to win than the treasures of the fairy folk. If I contend with it, it is like a combat with a spectre. If I fly to the ends of the earth from it, it is there. If I seek to seize it, it is a passion for an echo. It is thou, O oh my love, that has brought me to this, and thou alone canst heal me, or I shall never rise again. Then Etain went away and left him, but still in a palace in Tara she was haunted by his passion and of his misery. And though she loved him not, she could not endure his pain nor the triumph of grim death over his youth and beauty. So at last she went to him and said, If it lies with me, Ailil, to heal thee of thy sickness, I may not let thee die. And she made a trice to meet him on the morrow at a house of Ailil's between Duntethba and Tara. But be it not at Tara, she said, for that is the palace of the High King. All that night... 
Isla lay awake with the thought of his tryst with Etain. But on the morrow morn, a heaviness came upon his eyelids, and a druid sleep came over him. And there all day he lay buried in slumbers from which none could wake him, until the time of his meeting with Etain was overpassed. But Etain, who had come to the palace of the tryst, looked out and behold, a youth having the appearance and the garb of Isla was approaching from Tethba. He entered the boa, where she was, but no lover did she meet there. Only a sick and sorrowful man who spake coldly to her and lamented the sufferings of his malady, and after a short time he went away. Next day, Eton went to see Isla and to hear how he did, and Isla entreated her forgiveness that he had not kept his tryst for, he said, a druid slumber descended upon me and I lay as one dead from morn till eve, and moreover, he added, it seems as if the strange passion that has befallen me were washed away in that slumber. For now, Etain, I love thee no more but as my queen and my sister, and I am recovered from it as if I were in an evil dream. Then Etain knew that the powers not of earth were mingling in her fate, and she pondered much of these things, and grew less light-hearted than of old, and when the king came back, he rejoiced to find his brother whole and sound and merry, as Isle had never been, and he praised Etain for her gentleness and her care. Now, after a time, as Etain was by herself in her sunny bower, she was aware of a man standing by her whom she had never seen before. Young he was, and grey-eyed, with curling golden hair, and in his hand he bore two spears. His mantle was of crimson silk, his tunic of saffron, and a gold helmet was on his head. As she gazed upon him, Etain, he said, the time is come for thee to return. We have missed thee and sorrowed for thee long enough in the land of the youth. Etain said, Of what land dost thou speak? Then he chanted to her a song. Come with me, Etain, oh, come away, to that oversea land of mine, where music haunts the happy day, and rivers run with wine, where folk are careless and young and gay, and none saith mine or thine. Gold curls on the proud young head, and pearls in the tender mouth, manhood, womanhood, white and red, and love that grows not loth, when all the world's desires are dead, and all the dreams of youth, away from the cloud of Adam's sin, away from grief and care, this flowery land thou dwellest in seems rude to us and bare, for the naked strand of happy land is twenty times as fair. When Etain heard this, she stood motionless, and as one that dreams awake, for it seemed to her as if she must follow that music wheresoever it went on earth or beyond even the earth. But at last remembrance came upon her, and she said to the stranger, Who art thou that I, the high king's wife, should follow a nameless man and betray my troth? And he said, Thy troth was due to me before it was due to him, and moreover, were it not for me, thou hast broken it already. I am Midir the Proud, a prince among the people of Dana, 
and thy husband Etain. Thus it was that when I took thee to wife in the land of youth, the jealousy of thy rival, Fumanach, was awakened, and having decoyed me from thy home by a false report, she changed thee by magical arts into a butterfly, and then contrived a mighty tempest that drove thee abroad. Seven years wast thou born hither and thither on the blast, till chance blew thee into the fairy palace of Angus, my kinsman, by the waters of the Boyne. But Angus knew thee, for the fairy folk may not disguise themselves from each other, and he built for thee a magical sunny bower, with open windows through which thou mightest pass, and about it were all manner of blossoming herbs and shrubs. And on the odor and honey of these did thou live and grow fair and well-nourished. But in the end Fuminach got tidings of thee, and again the druid tempest descended and blew thee forth another seven years of wandering and woe. Then it chanced that thou wert blown through the roof-window of the dune of Eta by the bay of Chinchmeni, and fell into a goblet from which his wife was drinking. And thee she drank down with that draught of ale, and in due time thou wast born again in the guise of a mortal maid, and daughter to Eta the warrior. But thou art no mortal, nor of mortal kin, for it is one thousand and twelve years from the time when thou wast born in fairyland, till Eta's wife bore thee as a child of the earth. Then Etain was bewildered, and her mind ran back many a half-forgotten thing, and she gazed as if in a gulf of visions, full of dim shapes, sharp and glorious, and Midia, as she looked at him, again seemed transfigured, taller and mightier than before, and a light flame flickered from his helmet's crest and moved like wings about his shoulders. But at last she said, I know not what thou sayest, if it be true or not. But this I know, that I am the wife of the High King, and I will not break my troth. It were broken already, said Midia. But for me, for I it was who laid a druidic sleep on Islil, and it was I who came to thee in his shape, that thy honor might not be stained. Etain said, I learned then that honor is more than life. But if Yorki, the High King, consented to let thee go, said Midia, wilt thou come with me to my land and thine? In that case, said Etain, I will go. And the time went by, and Etain abode in Tara, and the High King did justice and made war and held the great assembly as he was used. But one day in summer, Yorki arose very early to breathe the morning air and he stood by himself leaning on the rampart of his great dune and looking over the flowery plain of Brega. And as he thus gazed, he was aware of a young warrior standing by his side. Grey-eyed was the youth, and golden-haired, and he was splendidly armed and apparelled as beseemed the lord of a great hall of the gale. Iochi bade him welcome courteously and asked him the cause of his coming. I am come, he said, to play a game of chess with thee, O king, for thou art renowned for thy skill in that game, and to test that skill am I come. And my name is Midia of the people of Dana, 
whom they have called the proud. Willingly, said the king, but I have no chessboard, and mine is in the chamber where the queen is sleeping. Well, that is easily remedied, said Midia, and he drew from his cloak a folding chessboard whose squares were alternate, gold and silver. From a man-bag, made of brazen chainwork, he drew out a set of men adorned with flashing jewels, and he set them in array. I will not play, then said Yochi, unless we play for a stake. For what shall we play, then? I cannot, said Yochi, but do thou perform tasks for me, if I win, and I shall bestow of my treasures upon thee if I lose. And they played a game, and Yochi won. Then Iaki bade Midia clear the plains of Meath about Tara from rocks and stones. And Midia brought at night a great host of the fairy folk, and it was done. And again he played Iaki, and again he lost. And this time he cut down the forest of Brig. And the third time Midia lost, his task was to build a causeway across the moor of Lamrock. Now at night, while Midia and the fairy house were laboring at the causeway and the rocks and drawing to it innumerable loads of earth and gravel, the steward of Yaki stole out and hid himself to watch them, for it was a prohibition to see them at work. And he observed that the fairy oxen were not harnessed with a throng across the foreheads, that the yoke might pull upon their brows and necks, as was the manner of Gale, but with yokes upon their shoulders. This he reported to Yorki, who found it good, and he ordered that henceforth the children of the gale should harness their plough-oxen with a yoke upon their shoulders, and so it was done from that day forth. Hence Yorki got his harem, or the ploughman, for he was the first of the gale to put the yoke upon the shoulder of the ox. But it was said that because of the fairy folk were watched as they made that noble causeway, there came a breach in it at one place where none could ever rightly mend. When all their works were accomplished, Midir came again to Iaki, and this time he bore a dark and fierce countenance and was high-girt as for war. And the king welcomed him, and Midir said, Thou hast treated me hardly and put slavish tasks upon me. All that seemed good to thee that I have done, and now I am moved with anger against thee. I return not anger for anger, said Yoki. Say what satisfaction I can make thee. Let us play chess once more, said Midia. Good, said Yoki. And what stake wilt thou have now? The stake to be whatever the winner shall demand, said Midia. Then they played for the fourth time, and Yoki lost. Thou hast won the game, said he. I had won long ago had I chosen, said Midia. What dost thou demand of me, said Yoki? To hold Etain in my arms and obtain a kiss from her, replied Midia. Now, the king was silent for a little while, and after that he said, Come back in one month from this day, and the stake which I have lost shall be paid. But... Yoki summoned together all the hosts of the heroes of the gale, and they surrounded Tara ring within ring, and the king himself and Etain were in the palace, with the outer court of it shut and locked. For they looked that Midia should come with a great host of the Danon folk to carry off the queen. 
And on the appointed day, as the king sat at meat, Etienne and her handmaids were dispensing the wine to them as was wont. Then suddenly as they feasted and talked, behold, Midia stood in the midst of them. If he was fair and noble to look on as he has appeared before the king and to Etienne, he was fairer even now. For the splendor of the immortals clothed him, and his jewels flamed as he moved like eyes of living light. And all the kings and lords and champions who were present gazed on him in amazement and were silent. And the king arose and gave him welcome. Thou hast received me as I expected to be received, said Midia, and now let thy debt be paid, since I am, for my part, fully performed all that I undertook. I must consider the matter longer yet, said Iochi. Thou hast promised Eten's very self to me, said Midia. That is what I have come to from thee. And when she heard that word, Eten blushed with shame. Blush not, said Midia, for all the treasures of the land of youth have not availed to win thee from Iochi, and it is not of thy own will that thou art one, but because the time is come to return to thy kin. Then said Iochi, I have not promised Etain's self to thee, but to take her in thine arms and kiss her, and now do so if thou wilt. Then Midir took his weapons in his left hand and placed his right hand around Etain, and when he did so they rose up in the air over the heads of the host, and passed through a roof window in the palace. Then all rose, tumulous and angry, and rushed out the doors. But nothing they could see, save two white swans that circled high in the air around the hill of Tara, and then flew southwards and away towards the fairy mountain of Silvanamon. And thus Etain the Immortal rejoined the Immortals. But a daughter of Etain and of Iochi, who was another Etain in name and in beauty, became, in due time, a wife and mother of kings. And that is Chapter 7 of The High Deeds of Finn and Other Bardic Romances of Ancient Ireland. Thank you for listening to our story. If you enjoyed it, we recommend taking a look at our Patreon page as noted in the description below. You can earn great rewards while also supporting us to keep these stories alive for future generations to come. Also remember to subscribe to us on your podcast application, and leave us a 5-star rating if you enjoyed this story. A special thank you to Kat for their support this month. Without your contribution, we wouldn't be able to continue these stories, and we truly appreciate it. Visit thescaldcircle.com to stay up to date with all of our current events, news, and much more. Not only that, but you can also visit our story archive of every tale we have told. It's sorted by origin and region for the convenience of your listening pleasure. Thank you for listening to our story. Don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. While this story is over, you can still visit audibletrial.com slash thescaldcircle to begin your trial and download your free audiobook today. Let us know what you've listened to recently on Audible via our Facebook page. We're always looking for new recommendations.